Welcome, welcome to another episode of Linen Suit and Plastic Tie. I'm Gaurav. And I'm Kevin. We're really excited to be back and bring you some amazing expert storytellers. Kev, who are we talking to today? Well, today we are talking to Christopher Connolly. He is a veteran marketing executive. He has a broad range of work experience, uh, formerly in Hasbro and more recently at Disney. He has advertised for a lot of things across creative assets and consumer products uh, and uh, your also familiar Disneyland's. So uh, we're excited to talk to him and learn some insights from about marketing and storytelling in that. Before we do that, Kev, let's get into learnings. Well, my learning is that, you know, reaching out to people is hard and people don't always respond. And I need to figure out ways that can effectively deliver uh, our ideas and, uh, you know, story to tell ourselves better to get people on board with our um, our goals and our message. Yeah, you know, persistency is key. And even with this, as we gain more listeners and we gain more users and we have some amazing speakers, it's still important that we stay persistent when we try to get these people and make sh- making sure that, above all, they have a great story to tell. And so far, I'm really excited about the people we have lined up. Well, now that we're all excited, let's get to it. Here comes okay. Chris. So to start us off, Chris, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? What is your story? Well, uh, I'm from the San Fernando Valley. I was pretty good at math, thought I'd uh, become a public accountant upon graduation. In the second day of training at PricewaterhouseCoopers, I realized that I was not passionate about public accounting. So beginning two days into my professional career, I've made it a point to follow my passion. And that led me to marketing. I stumbled upon that and realized I was infinitely more passionate about marketing. I've worked at H.J. Hines over the years in marketing. Most recently, I've been at the Walt Disney Company the last 12 years in various marketing roles uh, across the movie studio, the merchandise division, and now more recently at the Disneyland Resort. Uh, That's my journey. I I learned along the way to follow your passion. What I love about the Disney parts is that everything's an experience, whether it's just walking in, the music, the atmosphere. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about building that experience and why every single little detail is so important when uh, marketing and working in the parks? Well, you know, I wish I could take credit for those details, Gora, but it's really our Walt Disney Imagineering team. They're the ones who are uh, tasked with the idea of bringing our intellectual property or our character franchises and our films to life in the parks. So they, they take that two-dimensional film and translate that into three dimensions in our parks around the world. They're really creative individuals, but uh, you know, we always pride ourselves on those details that you mentioned. And uh, you know, if, if you go into a Western part of the, uh, the theme park, you're gonna see in the cement little, uh, you know, horseshoe prints and, and little tracks that tell you you're in the Wild West, or you know, you'd see different, uh, different images in the cement if you were in uh, Fantasyland or um, in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. So just even the little 
um, indentations in the cement in the various portions of the part. Nine out of 10 people wouldn't notice that, but for those who do, it just makes them love the Disney parks experience even more. So we really try to, with our Walt Disney Imagineering partners, really pay great attention to detail because that's really what helps set us apart, to your point. We, we don't get a lot of letters uh, complimenting us on the, uh, the quality of the $14 cheeseburger. What we do tend to get letters on is the incredible experience people have and how well they were treated by, we call our employees cast members. And more often than not, that letter is about a cast member really making a magical day for that guest. And, you know, since we're talking about storytelling, if you go back to when Disneyland opened in 1955, Walt Disney hired a gentleman named Van France. And Van France was the person who came up with our purpose, the same purpose that all of our tens of thousands of parks employees around the world use today. And the purpose that Van pitched to Walt and his brother Roy was that when you open Disneyland in 1955, let's have every employee, let's have their purpose be to create happiness when the guest enters the park. And if you talk to our cast members today, they may say, my job is to make magic or my job is to create happiness, right? I try to, I try to make the guest happy. They play it back in different ways, but all, all of the employees at Disneyland know that their purpose is to create happiness, whether you're a pastry chef or the monorail driver, or if you work in finance or even people like me in marketing, we all come to work with that one purpose. And I think that's what makes the park so special is Van France's contribution back in 1955 to say we're going to have one purpose and we still have that same purpose across all of our parks uh, today. And I, and I think that purpose is in some ways an extension of storytelling that, that we are going to tell this story to all of our cast, that we are going to create happiness for everyone who comes to visit. Yeah. Purpose and storytelling and mission driven and making sure that everyone is kind of centered around the mission as an organization grows is something that we are really discovering is so important to keeping that core values, and especially with someone like Disney Parks, especially like for me, we used to go for our birthdays a lot. And then you have those birthday pins. Everyone says happy birthday. And it, yes, it's the little things. Makes you feel really special. Just that. And, th and think about a little button like that. How much does a little button cost to make? And how did that little button make you feel? You know, little cost, uh, big emotion, big, big return. So um, great, great example. Yes. Right. Yes. A, a narrative that, you know, draw connections with people. That's, you know, what tends to be people will, will remember the most. And stories are what Disney is rich with there are so many iconic uh characters and uh ips like you know from mickey mouse to uh, star wars and marvel uh and there are so many products and experiences circled around that uh that you know uh consumers uh, and uh, you know fans in enjoy so much and so Something I, I want to know from that is, uh, from the marketing standpoint, um, how do you uh, market these products and experience in a way that extends the, the extend the original story while staying true 
to uh, the story that they originated from? Well, you know, I think a great example of that, uh, Kevin, is the uh, biggest ever expansion of Disneyland Resort here, the 14-acre edition of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge in 2019. We had the same exact 14-acre edition to Walt Disney World. You know, that's taking an original core IP like Star Wars and with the help of our Imagineers, extending that story with a whole new planet called Batu and new characters that you'll meet on Batu and new experiences that you've not encountered before uh, as a Star Wars fan. So I think to bring that new land to life, it's it's an outpost. It's it's a new planet that the Star Wars fans have not visited before. I think that's a classic extension of the story. And of course, within the parks now, you can experience and experience it in three-dimensional form and actually taste the blue milk and, uh, you know, pick up a lightsaber and encounter Kylo Ren uh, on the planet Batu. So, you know, you're taking your core IP and being true to it, but the Imagineers do such a good job of extending the story. And, and I think Galaxy's Edge has just set the bar so high now within the world of the theme parks. It really is experiential. You're almost within the story itself experiencing Star Wars now when you come to Galaxy's Edge, which is really cool. No, I mean, I love Galaxy's Edge. It's one of those amazing things with, like we talked about, the little details in the parks. Like, I know one little detail is that they don't actually sell any, like, Star Wars branded merchandise. It's all a part of the world. Like, you can't buy a Star Wars movie in the in that area, but you can buy right parts of it. That's, that's, that's a great point, because if you need a plastic lightsaber, you have to go to Earth to buy that. If you're on Batu, you you know, you would buy a, a little toy that the the natives of the planet have handcrafted and sewn uh, in character and, and in story from a Batu standpoint. That's that's a great point. The Imagineers just did a brilliant job of that with some of the little plush toys that the locals have crafted for you to purchase or the blue milk. So- even even the even the Sprite and the Coke cans. Uh, are in the shape of orbs as if you're on the planet Batu. You wouldn't buy uh, a Coke bottle the way you would on the planet Earth. It's really well done. I mean, in your opinion, why is that so important? Why is it so important that they're specific to those details instead of like having one little stand that sells the movies or something? Oh, I I think, you know, as you watch Star Wars fans, Gaurav, as you watch true Star Wars fans who've grown up with the books and the video games and the films, as you see them come onto the planet of Batu, and you see them experience this with the sights and the sounds and the architecture and the blue milk and um, you know the Coke bottles in the shape of orbs, uh, they they get emotional. I mean, it's it's a, it's a dream come true to finally be able to experience Star Wars in three dimensional form, where so far your whole life to date, it's only been experienced in a two-dimensional format, whether that be on the page of a book or the screen in a theater or uh, watching a film on Disney Plus. They're so emotional when they finally get to come in and experience their favorite property of all time in three-dimensional form. And that's where the tears uh, flow as they enter that part of the resort for a true Star Wars fan. It's it's quite remarkable. I I love that. I love that idea of just being emotion driven and it's a whole nother layer when you think of the parts and I definitely think experiential storytelling is huge in the parks, but adding that emotional connection to true fans is such an, it's such an important factor. Yes. Yes. And, and, and to your point, I mean, the parks have been built upon emotion, but 
Galaxy's Edge just takes it to a whole new level thanks to our Imagineering partners. Um, so kind of on that topic as well, about working with iconic IPs, you have worked with the iconic brand of Disney princesses. And what's such an interesting aspect of this brand is it's it's been enduring over decades and this very long time. And I don't think that's an accident. I think it's not just about amazing stories, but it's about caretakers that over the years cultivating it and making sure it stays consistent and modernizing it. So can you tell us about kind of the weight of working on working marketing a brand like that and how you modernize it? Yeah, it's it, it, it's a big responsibility, uh, Gorov, and, and you have to be true to the characters and true to the original films, whether it's Snow White from, uh, you know, the night, I'm sorry, um, Snow White from the 30s or Cinderella from the 50s or Tangled 10 years ago. It's so important to treat these iconic princess characters with care. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the reason why these characters are so appealing still today is not only are they great heroines, but the storytelling is so wonderful um, in Snow White and Cinderella and all these films over the years. So we try to keep each princess distinct and focus on their own story and uh, then bring them all together in this uh, merchandise collection called Disney Princess. But uh, it, it's a big responsibility. But storytelling, I think the storytelling behind these films plays a big role uh, in their success, no doubt. There was a, um, there's kind of a, a little known fact that, um, you know, when you talk about storytelling, probably my favorite Walt story ever uh, relates to the very first uh, Princess film, Snow White. And the story goes, I, I won't do a good job of retelling it, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. But in 1933, he took 40 of his best animators and he gave them 50 cents to go out and get a great steak dinner after work, which would probably be the equivalent of giving everyone a hundred dollar bill today. And they all went out and had a great steak dinner. They used their 50 cents and they all came back to the studio in a great mood. And uh, Walt sat down at about 8 PM and he told them a story. He told the story for three and a half hours from 8 PM to 1130 PM. He voiced every character himself in the story. He even did the sound effects if it was like a, a crackle of lightning. And uh, at the end of the three and a half hours, th those 40 animators for the first time were introduced to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Animators who've been recorded 10 to 20 years ago who were still living and were at that meeting that night in 1933 to hear Walt's story and his vision behind what he envisioned this movie to be, said, we did the best we could, but the movie did not do justice to the story we were told that night. The movie won an Academy Award, one of our most beloved animated films ever. It was the first feature length film up until that point. Cartoons were only five minutes in length and you'd watch them before the feature film began in a theater. That was the first 90 minute feature length cartoon. Um, and it would probably not have been successful if Walt wasn't such a good storyteller. And if he hadn't inspired those 40 individuals that night and told the story in a three and a half hour format uh, at the, at the studio, um, that that's my favorite Walt story ever. So if you're a leader 
and you want to lay out your vision with where you want to take your team, storytelling, whether it's a movie or a new direction you want your team to proceed, maybe a little bit of a different shift in direction versus where your team is headed today, storytelling as a leader is just absolutely critical as evidenced by that story about Walt and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. So. Yeah, absolutely. And this just really shows that, you know, stories and storytelling is in the genes of Disney. And everything from there uh, is it, really a company that has inherited that gene and builds all of its products and experiences around uh, the core. That is the great storytelling of Walt uh, Disney himself. Can you tell me a little bit about when you're given a product or uh, given a toy, when you're working more on the toy side to market, how do you, what are the similar characteristics you look for to find the essence of a toy to figure out to market? You, you know, going back to storytelling, uh, as we're talking this podcast, I, we would, we would look to the uh, properties that we felt had the best stories and, you know, to, to use uh, star Wars, for example, you know, only, Luke Skywalker and his lightsaber and the power of the force can overcome the evil Darth Vader, you know, classic good versus evil storyline, very easy to understand. Uh, you know, should we license? Because in licensing, you have to give some of your sales to the licensor. And in the case of Jurassic World, that would be to Steven Spielberg. You know, the story for Jurassic World is that you as a little boy or girl can capture and subdue the dinosaurs and, you know, return Jurassic World uh, to, 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 to normalcy. You know, the dinosaurs have broken out. They've gotten loose. So it's up to you, the little boy or girl, with your toys and your vehicles and your nets to capture and subdue those dinosaurs and, and, and return the world uh, back to a, a, a wonderful place again. So... But that story is how we developed the toys and we would have Jeeps that had capture nets and uh, the action figures would have uh, stun guns to subdue the dinosaurs. So that storytelling uh, was a big part of us deciding which properties to pursue like a Jurassic World or maybe not to pursue um, on the licensing front at Hasbro. So such a similarity with the parks, you know, you, you take, it's about taking the person and making them feel a part of the story, making them feel that emotional connection, like they're beating the bad guy or they're in the world. Yes. And so when you, to your point, when you enter Sleeping Beauty's castle at Disneyland, the music, the Imagineering team just refurbished the castle a year or two back. It looks gorgeous. But when you walk into that castle, the music, uh, the textures, the sights, the sounds all make you feel as if you are really a, a princess or a prince living inside Sleeping Beauty Castle, all emotion to your point, Gorok. I think that's awesome that, you know, the, the, the products or experiences are in fact uh, to the, uh, the little kids who, enj uh, who are enjoying it, a great epic story where they are the hero and they are, you know, conquering this great quest or feat or, you know, they're, they're part of the amazing stories. You know, I was at Ground Zero, uh, Kevin, when the first Frozen film came out in theaters in Thanksgiving 2013, and I was a pretty big proponent of uh, of the Frozen film and its ability to translate to merchandise. But you really never know until the film hits. You really can't, you just can't research test 
the film that way as it relates to merchandise. So I was ready to go on Frozen, but Elsa turned out to be such a strong, empowering female character and, and the song Let It Go and this coming of age story of her at, at the height of the film. Uh, we were ready. We thought it would be enormous, but uh, the demand for Elsa and that film and its merchandise was not enormous. It was unprecedented. And uh, that's really what led to that frozen phenomena. Uh, it was just an incredible character, an incredible story. And like many Disney classics, just had an incredible soundtrack uh, to help augment that storytelling with the beautiful music. So I, th I think she's my favorite character that I've ever worked on at Hasbro or Disney and to oversee the merchandise for that film. Uh, needless to say, we were moving pretty quickly uh, with our factories in China to catch up to the consumer demand for that character, Elsa and her blue dress throughout 2014. It was, uh, you don't get to work on a phenomena very often, but uh, I was very fortunate to be uh, overseeing Frozen at that time for Disney throughout 2014. Definitely a career highlight. Uh, Frozen was insane. Like no one, it was an amazing movie, and no one saw the kind of impact it would have worldwide. Yeah, you, you know, I, I think Lion King. When Lion King came out in 1994, that was probably the biggest merchandise property I've ever seen in my career. I never thought it would be repeated, and uh, the advantage Frozen had, Goroff, that Lion King did not have was the internet. So Frozen had a nice box office opening. But as the film grew and the internet spread the song virally and, and the imagery, and, you know, once you start to see Marines singing Let It Go down at Camp Pendleton and that video goes viral, you know, it took on a life of its own thanks to the internet. And I feel that in our culture around the world, it actually did become as big, if not arguably bigger than The Lion King in 1994. Uh, both, both brilliant films from Disney, but I think the internet maybe help propel uh, Frozen to even new heights. And, and Lion King, of course, in 1994, did not have the benefit of the internet to help propel it across the world. So, so I mean, that had to be so fast-paced, kind of keeping up with the man, getting things out. Any key lessons you learned from that experience? I would say trust your instincts. You know, I, I really felt, given all my experience at Hasbro and assessing properties and seeing films in rough form, I really felt it was going to be enormous. And, and I had to make that call six months before the movie came out to get ready. And uh, again, you can't consumer test it. You can't do market research. Um, you just have to trust your instincts. And I, I really trusted my instincts to say this is going to be enormous. And I was probably the biggest proponent of Frozen within our merchandise division at the time. And again, as big of a proponent, as big of a cheerleader as I was, I was still wrong because it was much bigger than even I thought it was going to be. But at least we were ready to go. Gorov, Kevin, we were ready to go. We, we knew it was going to be big. And then when it was even bigger than we thought, we, of course, hustled even faster. But uh, we weren't surprised by its success. We were just surprised by the scale of the success, the scale of the appeal across the world. And, and the fact that the Internet helped it grow and grow and grow each month that passed and made it more and more popular. Where normally when a movie comes out in theaters, it gets less and less and less popular each month that goes by after it's released in a theater. This was just the opposite. It was uh, absolutely crazy. I mean, you bring up such an interesting point with the internet and technology. 
propelling stories and making giving us a profound impact for a story to go worldwide. And it's just such a fascinating. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, in certain parts of the world, it did, it was not as popular at the outset as the United States. And I think the internet helped other parts of the world uh, see how powerful frozen was to the point where a year or two after the movie was released, it was equally popular in all parts of the world, thanks to the internet and its ability to spread uh, the excitement of that film. So yeah, for sure. Definitely, definitely a career highlight to, to get to be involved with Elsa and Frozen, yeah. for sure. I mean, I'm from China, and, you know, little girls in China also want to be Elsa uh, when Halloween comes. So it's definitely having a you yes. know, worldwide and long-lasting impact uh, and just amazing how uh, a story and the way we promote stories can uh, really influence the world in a really profound way. Yeah. You know, Kevin, I was in Shanghai in 2019. I lived there for three months and I was surprised by how popular Frozen was in China. It was more popular in 2019 in China than the United States. Now, it may not have been that way in 2014, but slowly over time, the Internet, you know, uh, showed the Chinese culture and the people just how popular this film could become. So it's actually arguably in some ways um, before Frozen 2 came along, it was more popular in China than the United States when I was there uh, in the summer of 19. So Yeah, that's wow. amazing. So, uh, to close our episode, we have this segment called mm-hmm. Suspenders. Uh, it worked like this. We ask you uh, a random question that's unrelated to anything. Um, uh, hopefully it's fun, and you can give any random answer <laughs> that you feel like. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. So, um, our random question of the day is, what is your most magical moment from the year 2020? You know, we've had a lot of people uh, impacted by uh, furloughs at our parks around the world. And I think just being able to really care for my cast and my team, Kevin, um, many of them have uh been going through some hard times. Many parks employees around the world have been furloughed. Many of my team members um, at Disneyland uh, are married to fellow Disneyland uh, employees. So just, I think it's been a tough year, but I think I've really learned the importance of empathy. And there's nothing more important than caring for someone on your team. And if I could say one lesson to all aspiring leaders listening today, you cannot care enough for your team in ordinary times and during this pandemic to really care and show empathy to my team. Some of them were forced overnight to become homeschool teachers. Uh, One person on my team was in big meetings with a two-year-old, her two-year-old son on her lap. And I'd say, you know, don't, don't, don't be embarrassed by, by your son on your lap. Let's just, let's just talk about the the topic at hand. It's, it's, it's no big deal that your son's joining us uh, in the zoom call. So it was just a tough year. So I just think, my biggest magical moment was just really caring for my team. And I think just trying to make a little difference and, and make it a little bit easier for them to work with us at Disney. I, I really learned a lot about leadership this past year and the importance of empathy and, and care. So It's such a great message for this COVID world and how important it is that we care for each other and we emphasize with each other. 
Welcome, welcome to Top Hat. This is the part of the podcast where we sit down and analyze some of the amazing learnings we just got from an expert storyteller. This week, we had Disney marketing exec Chris Connolly. So why don't we jump straight into some of our learnings? I think first and foremost, the way he talked about the organization and people at Disney was really telling. The role the cast members play in building that experience at the parks and all going back to uh, Von Franz's idea of the purpose is to create happiness and making sure that even as Disney grows, making sure that every single cast member is focused on that story, that purpose of making people happy and tying them all together with that story is so important. It's a great part of what makes that experience so great. Yeah. And from the stories, every minute detail, every dent on the cement, uh, every piece of merchandise you get, they're all tied to the story and the theme. That is how you create a cohesive experience that really sticks with the the, the, the spirit and the core of uh, the stories you, and IPs you create. And, and I just think that's so amazing. Making sure every minute detail is cohesive to the experience. Even just walking through a Disney park, walking through Galaxy's Edge, you're part of that story. So that brings us to learning number three, remembering that every product, every story, every uh, ride is all an extension of that original story. He talked about this when he talked about the Jurassic Park toys. And when they look, when they're designing toys, when designing parks, looking back to the story and saying, how can we build something that will make a fan a part of the story? How can we build a toy that will make the fan feel the hero, feel like he's the hero, bringing them into the story? So hopefully next time you're at the Disney parks, you see it a little bit differently. You see how every single piece is an extension of the story, how every single employee is dedicated to that making people happiness purpose, and how that all contributes to that amazing experience that is Disney parks. This has been another great episode of Linen Suit and Plastic Tie. We'll see everyone next week.